Welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as our Bible teacher explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. Also, you can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, www.fbcaa.org. You can watch our services at fbcaa.org live or on YouTube. We thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as we open God's Word. We're reading uh, Romans chapter 2. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For whenever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and, rev- and uh, revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to, who, to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Indeed, you are called a Jew. Rest in the law and make your boast in God and know he will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, 
do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Good evening. If you would please open in your copy of God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We will just pick up where we left off last time. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time uh, on the live stream, we welcome you. And uh, and you too, we invite you to open your Word, uh, the Word of God. And if you don't have a hard copy, well, open it on your phone, open another tab, I guess, and you know, and have them side by side as you watch. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'd like to read um, just this first portion uh, that we've been looking at just so that, you know, we don't lose the forest and the trees. I know we've only been covering a small kind of chunk at a time, and uh, that won't always be the case. Uh, other times we'll kind of kind of take a broader look out and cover, you know, multiple, more verses at a time. But uh, for right now, we're kind of uh, just in the first few verses. But let me read for you this evening from 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 11, which is kind of really the first section of the letter. And uh, we find ourselves kind of in the middle of that section this evening, um, but uh, just so that we can, again, get a picture of kind of the whole section, uh, let me read that to you, and then uh, we'll look more closely at a few of the verses. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy in verse 1 saying this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, 
that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And uh, if I can just highlight for a second, verse 11, though we won't reach there this evening, um, it kind of gives us an idea for the very reason Paul is writing to Timothy. Because he has been entrusted with this glorious gospel, it is his it is his right, it is his duty to then respond to any kind of false doctrine that is contrary to this glorious gospel. It is, he has been charged with this responsibility, and so if he were to not write to Timothy, he would not be, uh, he would not be upholding this commitment, this commandment that has been, has been you know, given to him to uphold the glorious gospel. He has been entrusted with this responsibility, and therefore... He was writing to Timothy, uh, his kind of apostolic representative in the church of Ephesus, to, as we looked at last time, to charge some in the church who were spreading false doctrine. We said uh, kind of in the first week or two that we were in this, uh, in this letter here that Paul likely was there for a time and was starting to combat this issue Perhaps he's the very one, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two of which Paul uh, personally confronted and uh, handed them over to Satan. But then he left Timothy with the responsibility of kind of taking care of the rest of the, the insubordinate ones, those who were, who were uh, continuing to share and, and to promote this false doctrine. So Paul has charged Timothy with this task to take care of this issue and, uh, and we looked at that last time, the instruction to do so in verses 3 and 4. Now, I was thinking back to uh, we mentioned last time in Acts chapter 20, where Paul, uh, where Paul speaks to the elders in Ephesus and warns them that you know, there, there would be savage wolves which would come and who would not spare the flock. And uh, you know, we, I said last time... You, as we think of the application of this passage, it may be in our minds it seems you know, so unlikely, unfathomable, that something like this could ever happen to you know, Fellowship Bible Church, uh, where something like this could get so out of hand and false doctrine being spread and taught and accepted. But, um, but it only takes you know, one little uh, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing, and you know, it only takes one little drip to form, you know, a canyon after a while. And it's not often that it just kind of comes and floods, but it's just the slow drip of false teaching. And so we need to be on guard as the leadership as of the church, but also as the participants, you know, as the body of Christ, to, to beware of such false teaching. And that requires us all to be students of God's word in order to recognize it before it's gotten too far and has created too much havoc. It's just something I was thinking about as, as I was considering Acts chapter 20, and I'll mention one more thing about that passage in relationship to verses 5 and 6 and 7, which will be the focus of our attention this evening. 
Now, the problem, as we just said, that is being faced in the church in Ephesus is that there's false doctrine being taught, um, another doctrine, as it were, uh, not the gospel that had been first proclaimed to them by Paul, some other gospel, which was actually not a gospel at all, um, using kind of the similar, similar language that we see in Galatians chapter 1 when Paul uh, you know, warns the Galatians that they have turned away to another gospel, um, you know, which was not truly a gospel at all. The second thing that he's concerned for and wants Timothy to address is the fact that there are some who are giving heed to fables and endless genealogies. We looked at that in verse 4. Um, you know, speculative thinking about these matters, which had no kind of edifying work in themselves. And Paul says that in verse 4. You know, he says these things, the result of the giving heed to fables and endless genealogies is not, you know, spiritual maturity. It's not godly edification. It's not the outworking of God's redemptive plan. Rather, all it's doing, the end result is disputes and strife within the church rather than, you know, the fulfillment of God's plan, which is the salvation of mankind, which is the furtherance of the gospel and the building up of the believers. And we see that uh, in verse 4. And then in verse 5 and uh, following, Paul then is going to shift to uh, a, a different kind of uh, point here. And uh, he's going to then in verse 5 give us the goal of the command or the purpose of the command. The word uh, now we see at the beginning of verse 5 is marks kind of is a kind of a transitional marker. It uh, denotes movement from one section or one point or paragraph to the next. And when Paul states here that the purpose of this command is love, he is referring then to the command that was given to Timothy to admonish false teachers and those heeding their false words. In other words, Paul is outlining the intended goal or purpose of the instructions that Timothy was going to give to these false teachers and really to the whole church uh, to warn them of, of the danger of the false teaching. So then the goal of issuing this warning was to lead the false teachers and those giving heed to their teaching um, and was, the purpose of this was to lead and to develop a genuine Christian love. We see this in verse 5. He says there, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Paul is not simply instructing Timothy to go to those who are spreading the false teaching and to simply just rebuke them just for the simple purpose of rebuking them, you know, kind of a power play, as it were, but rather the purpose or the intended goal or the desired outcome of this instruction was to produce in the lives of the believers in the church a genuine Christian love. This would be done by Timothy warning them of the dangers of the false teaching, rebuking, of course, the false teachers, but also, like we said last time, it would probably include having Timothy re-instruct them in what was truly sound doctrine. And we said last time, you know, I used the analogy of the news. When you hear so many uh, different sources, you know, you begin to get confused. You know, what's right, what's wrong? And, you know, to discern right from wrong becomes, you know, difficult. 
And likely, you know, it's a similar case here where um, they had gotten to a point of such confusion over just being able to discern what is right and wrong that Timothy would not have only rebuked the false teachers but reminded them what pure doctrine uh, really was, reminding them of what they had first, again, received from Paul in the beginning. I say there is no genuine Christians uh, or Christian love that lies behind or within false teaching. There, let me say that again. There is no genuine Christian love that lies behind or within false teaching. What do I mean by that? Well, the motive of the false teachers certainly was not genuine Christian love. Their motive, perhaps, was for self-glorification, for you know, the purpose of glorifying themselves, gaining a following, gaining a crowd and you know, fame, and uh, rather than producing Christian love within the church. So the mode of the false teacher certainly was not genuine Christian love, nor did their teaching or speculative thinking concerning fables and genealogies promote love within the lives of those in the church. So the motive behind their false teaching and also the teaching itself did not produce Christian love, genuine Christian love. How do we know that? Well, I mean, we know from verse 4 that had it promoted Christian love, there would not be the kind of disputes taking place in the church that there was. In fact, uh, you know, it had the opposite effect. It promoted, as I just said, disputes and strife concerning, you know, these, these speculative ma- uh, matters about genealogies and fables, and it did not produce love. In contrast, the goal of the instruction to be given by Timothy was to produce in the lives of the believers and even in the lives of the false teachers, if they were repentant, uh, to produce in them love. And the love that um, Paul has here in mind is a three comes from a threefold source. The love in view that Paul speaks of has a threefold source. We see that in verse five. Paul states that this love comes from or flows out of a first a pure heart, then from a good conscience and also from a sincere faith. It flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Now, what does Paul have in mind when he says a pure heart? A pure heart is a heart free from moral guilt. For a believer, it's one who has been cleansed from their sin, you know, justification, having been declared righteous. They they also are freed from moral guilt. It is a heart cleansed by the blood of Jesus, forgiven of all sin. And in order to maintain that pure heart, we must, as believers, continually confess our sin to the Lord, who will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 tells us that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse the heart from all unrighteousness. Any person who lacks a pure heart cannot radiate genuine Christian love. 
How do we know that? Well, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 uh, expounds that idea. Turn there for a moment. 1 Peter chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It says here in verse 22, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The idea here is that, you know, having purified themselves or their souls by obeying the truth, they are now able to express and radiate true, genuine love towards the brethren. They are able to love one another fervently with a pure heart, a heart that has been uh, cleansed from immorality and all sin. And if the believer desires to express and radiate this love, then they must have a pure heart. I think we can say confidently that the false teachers were not speaking out of a pure heart. There were sinful motives behind their teaching, Again, whether it be to gain a following or to, to um, you know, to glorify themselves and and uh, their words and have people you know follow after them. Certainly, there were some also in the church who were deceived by this teaching and following after it, and they too were not uh, behaving out of a pure heart. Paul gives us a. The second kind of source from which this love comes or flows out of, and that is from a good conscience. The conscience is that inward faculty of distinguishing right and wrong. We all have that conscience within us. Even unbelievers, the Word of God says, are able to know um, what is right and wrong being written on their heart. In Romans chapter 13, 5, and 1 Corinthians 8, 10, the conscience serves as a guide to life. It helps us discern what to do and, and why we ought to do it. keeps us from going down the wrong path and at the same time going down the right path, living in a way that is glorifying to God. Paul, though, recognized that a conscience can be scarred by receiving you know, imperfect information, 1 Timothy 4.2 tells us that in Titus 1.15. A conscience can also be ignored or silenced so that a person no longer hears the voice of their conscience, if I can put it that way. Unbelievers have certainly done this. They, you know, they've hidden the truth. They've dark, you know, darkened their minds. Their minds have been darkened, that is. And they've you know, avoided uh, listening to their conscience. But believers can also experience a similar kind of thing when they are practicing sin. If they allow themselves to go down so far a path of sin, they can begin to no longer um, be sensitive to their conscience. And so we must be careful not to walk down that path. When we do that, we become not only susceptible to more sin, 
but we begin to be susceptible to things like false teaching. And that is the case that we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, Paul also gives a third source of, from which this love flows out of, and that is a sincere faith. A sincere faith is a trust in God that Paul believed Timothy possessed. We see this in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you'll turn with me there just for a moment, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse uh, beginning uh, in verse 3, he says, I thank God, 2 Timothy 1, 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith or sincere faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, Paul says, is in you also. Paul was certain that this sincere faith dwelt within Timothy, but not so assured or confident that it dwelt in all of the lives of the believers in the church in Ephesus. Genuine Christian love flows from a sincere faith. We can then say oppositely that a lack of Genuine love is a sign of a lack of genuine faith. A genuine or sincere faith does not promote false doctrine or disputes or strife, but a love for God and for the brethren. Therefore, Paul instructs Timothy that the purpose of this command is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith because he had great doubt that those things existed at the very least in the lives of the false teachers, if not in the lives of some of the believers in the church who are being persuaded by the teaching and giving heed to fables and endless genealogies. If the false teachers truly had a genuine Christian love, they would be promoting from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith the sound word of God, the sound doctrine of God's word. But this is not the case. There was a lack of love within the church in Ephesus because of the infiltration of this false teaching. There was a genuine, there was a lack of genuine um, love for one another and a love for God. It could not be said that the teaching was from a pure heart or a good conscience or a sincere faith. And that is an issue as we see that the purpose of the teaching was to produce such in the lives of the believers to produce a love for one another and a love for God. Paul then goes on to say in verses 6 and 7, 
that the reason for the command. He says in, I'll start back in verse 5 and read through 7, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. When Paul says that some have strayed, this means that they have missed the goal of love and have turned their energy and their time and their attention to pursue other things that were of not importance. They were fruitless in their, in, uh, their value. Such was that of the false teachers. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, kind of the capstone to this section in the end of chapter 1, he says this to Timothy, this charge I commit to you, and I think that refers back to the very charge of verse 3 and then you know, continuing thereafter all that he commands. He says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith, a sincere faith, a genuine faith, and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. That same idea is being expressed here, I think, in verse 6. Paul is saying that some of which, that is those who are teaching this false doctrine, have strayed away from a genuine Christian love, demonstrating that their heart is not pure, they do not have a good conscience, and they're sincere. They, there's a lack of you know, a sincere faith. And having done this, Paul writes, having strayed away from this, have turned aside to idle talk, fruitless discussion, Speculative thinking concerning, you know, these fables and genealogies. We said last time that when we gather as the body of Christ, our central focus must be upon the word of God. Why is that? Because that is the only thing that builds up. That is the only thing that is fruitful in the life of the believer if we are desiring to display and, and to uh, demonstrate a genuine Christian love. When the word of God is not the central focus and we allow idle talk to fill the pulpit or fill the teaching time, fill the Bible study, whatever it may be, any kind of form of teaching, we cannot accomplish the work that God has called for us, which is, as verse 4 says, godly edification, which is in faith. So Paul points out that some have strayed from this, having turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. 
There are some that wanted to teach the law, but not knowing what they, are, what they were talking about, not truly understanding it, they wanted to be teachers of the law, yet had no idea at the same time what they were teaching. Now, when it refers to the law here, it refers to the Mosaic law. A uh, pastor a few weeks ago, or maybe it was a month or so ago now, uh, in the men's prayer, uh, did a little series or a study on the usage of the word law in, in the Bible in order for us to correctly think about it and not you know, always kind of just assume that it's speaking about the law of Moses or you know, the law of Christ. In this case, were it the law of Christ, well, that would have been a wonderful thing if they were teaching on that. But that's, that's not the case here. The, the usage of the word law here is specifically referring to the Mosaic law, so um, probably speaking on things like circumcision and the, you know, the uh, different laws of Judaism. In desiring to be teachers of this, Paul says they didn't understand what they, what they were saying nor the things they were affirming that were in the law of Moses. Even today, there are many teachers who teach the law but do not understand the, you know, the very basics of it. They don't understand that, uh, you know, that is, it's, not, it's not any longer the rule and practice for our life. And uh, you know, they go to the Old Testament, go to the law of Moses, and, and you know, maybe pull something out of there that you know, isn't a timeless principle something unique to that time, to that culture, to the nation of Israel. It's not to say that there are no timeless principles from there, but they have no idea what they're teaching on. Some mix law and grace, and grace becomes obscured behind the law, and likely that is the case of what's going on here in the church in Ephesus. Now, when he says that, you know, desiring to be teachers of the law, they are understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. It reminds me, actually, of what our brother James was speaking about this morning in some sense when he talked about, you know, those who are teachers of the, law, of, of the word, you know, are under a stricter judgment. It requires that anyone teaching must understand what they're teaching, may be able to communicate it clearly and accurately because of the fact that they are under a stricter judgment. And it's obvious that in this case, that not only were they speaking on the Mosaic law, probably promoting things like circumcision and other uh, Mosaic laws that were no longer uh, in effect but they also, you know, either were not teaching it accurately, they were not understanding what they were teaching, and likely because the aim was not genuine Christian love, the aim was not the glorification of God, it was not the proclamation of God's redemptive plan, it was not the display of the glorious gospel of the blessed God, as verse 11 says, but the aim was self glorification, and self-promotion. 
I was reading uh, in a book on, for my seminary on preaching, and uh, this pastor was asked this question, how do you see yourself when you're standing up in the pulpit preaching? And he responded in this way. He said, my, the first thought that came into my mind is, I see myself in the congregation standing with them, looking at the word of God and saying, what has God said to us? And there's kind of two components to that. And the first is, what has God said? We don't come to the text, being a teacher or an instructor or a pastor, and say, what can I say about the text? It's, what has God said? And how can I communicate that? It's likely that that was not in the mind of these false teachers. They were not coming to the apostles' doctrine, which they had first received, and saying, what has God said, and then how can we teach this? Rather, they were looking into the law of Moses and perhaps asking this kind of question, what can I say to make it sound good, to make me sound good, to, you know, to deliver something that's you know, easily uh, accepted, whether it's right or wrong. The second component of that response that that pastor gave, of, you know, what has God said, and then the question is, to us. Not just to the congregation, but to all of the body of Christ. Have these false teachers truly studied the word of God, the apostles' doctrine? They would have asked that kind of question. What has God said to us? Not just what can I say to them, but what has God said to us? That kind of question and thinking and mindset will produce a genuine Christian love. When we lay open the word of God and teach it clearly, when we do it with the purpose of developing and generating genuine Christian love, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You may ask the question, why do false teachers desire to do this? Perhaps it is their ego and their desire for attention. Perhaps it's the desire for money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, let me read that to you. Verse 3 and 5 says this, concerning that kind of uh, idea. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such withdraw yourself. These, uh, these kind of character characterizations in verse 4 are the characterizations of the false teachers, ones who are obsessed with disputes, arguments over words, who love to 
argue to the point of creating envy and strife and, and so forth and so, so on. They have, in a sense, hijacked the word of God as a means of personal gain. Of course, perhaps they do such things and spread such false teaching because they simply do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and they just want to simply teach anything that sounds religious, that sounds good, that sounds moral. And we can see how that could be the case if someone does not have a purified heart, if their conscience is not a good one that is informed rightly, and if they do not have this sincere or genuine faith like that which Timothy possessed, how could they accurately teach the word of God? How could they understand it? How could they affirm what is godly and right? They simply cannot. Using the illustration that Pastor used this morning, like the Bible that's in front of here, it's closed to them. As much as they look at it, they cannot understand it. So we would not expect them to teach pure doctrine. We could only expect that they would promote simply moral teaching at the very best, not the worst or or more worse, things which led to strife and envy and disputes. They have not thought through what they are saying to be able to really understand it. The uh, NIV has it right here. They say the false teachers do not know what they are talking about. They simply do not know what they are talking about. Words come out of their mouths that are contrary or divorced from a true understanding in their head or maybe, say, in their heart. You can find all over the Internet and on the news and you know, other talk shows people who know a lot about the Bible, but they simply look at it from a kind of historical, as historical facts. They can maybe explain you know, generally what one of the books of the Bible is about, or maybe even be able to explain who Jesus was and, and why he came. But that doesn't mean that they have a sincere faith or a genuine faith just because they can explain that. There's not that true understanding. They do not truly understand what they're talking about. And that was the issue here in the church in Ephesus. Specifically, in, in relationship to the law of Moses. Blindly, or maybe not blindly, maybe purposefully, they were leading the flock down a path that was contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thinking just for a moment back to Acts chapter 20, if you'll turn there and I want to give this one final thought. In Acts chapter 20, we looked at this last time. In verse 29, it says, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, For I know this, he says, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing 
the flock. Not sparing the flock. There is no genuine love in their motivation. They're, it's like the hireling who cares not for the flock. Oh, lead them off a cliff. <laughs> oh, let the wolves get to them. He has no genuine love for them and is not concerned for their godly edification, not concerned for the building up of the people of God, not concerned for the administration of God's outworking of redemption, not concerned with having a pure heart or producing pure hearts in the lives of the believers, not concerned with having a good conscience or developing a good conscience in the lives of others, and certainly not concerned with a genuine faith. Oh, that we be concerned with those things. Oh, that we be concerned with teaching pure doctrine with the purpose of developing love in the lives of the believers, a love for God and a love for one another. As we close this evening, I'll say this again, you know, we may never fathom that such a thing could happen in our church, but as I said before, probably when Paul warned them of this in Acts 20, they never thought it could come to pass. They couldn't speculate in that manner. So our focus must be, when we gather together, on the pure doctrine of God, the the doctrine of the apostles, which is the commandments of the Lord. May that be our focal point, and when it does, it does leave no room then for Satan to get in. I said before, when when the word of God is not the central focus of the church, it leaves a vacuum for which Satan loves to fill with disputes, false doctrine, and, um, and with the false teaching. Let's close in prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that perhaps one thing we can take away from this text this evening is that there is no true, genuine Christian love in false teaching. It never is the motive behind it. It never produces such love. It can only produce disputes and strife. So, Lord, may we be careful to protect, protect the pulpit, protect the congregation from such teaching that does not accomplish your, your work of producing in us a love that can only come and only does come from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Lord, help us in that way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for gathering this evening. I think pastor may have one more word, and so hang tight. Enjoy some fellowship together afterward, and uh, we hope to see you here on Wednesday night for some time of prayer. Thank you.
And thank you, Jansen. I just wanted to say I, uh, I took some notes in my handy little notebook here. And uh, one thing that struck me is this. If the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, then those from phrases indicate that that love arises out of the pure heart and the good conscience and the sincere faith, right? So what must our goal be in our lives and in our church meetings? Well, it must be to cultivate a, a pure heart and a sincere faith and uh, a good conscience, right? So we cultivate those. What's going to come out of those? It's almost a natural outflow of those, isn't it, uh, Jansen, that uh, the true love is going to come out of those? But it struck me as Jansen was teaching that, you know, it's written in that direction. You know what I mean? Purpose of, is love from those things. But we've got to develop these things if we're going to get to that love outcome. And uh, certainly the case that the false teachers weren't in any way connected to those values. Those are our values. So that just to put some, you know, just to think about that one more time, that means that when we're in the Bible and we're sharing with one another, we're uh, in our families, we're trying to develop that pure heart. That's not like behave this way that you know in a way that fits in this box the to cultivate a sincere faith that's a hard task isn't it how do you get inside somebody's brain and reconfigure it so that it has a sincere faith you wish you could but uh the the programming doesn't work like that god has to cultivate that but we can do so by preaching the word truly and giving not false doctrine, not idle talk, not speculation, but the word of God and watch it do its work to produce those, in a way, intangible values, but in another way, they're tangible because they come out in love, right? So we need to focus on those kinds of things this year rather than all that other, all that other stuff. You know, there's, uh, I just encountered some, you know, the cult, there's a genre, I'll call it a genre of news writing that's like, uh, you know, everybody's against us and all the conspiracy, conspiracies are going to come down on our head and uh, pretty soon we're going to be in, uh, you know, a digital prison or they're going to spray so many things in the atmosphere and uh, they're going to contaminate the ground. I mean, and you get into all this and it's the end of the world and that's a genre, I'll call it. That, all that stuff. That's kind of like this uh, speculations and empty talk and all that. That is not God's word. And that just leads people astray. So we want to make sure that we don't get caught up in all, the, all of that uh, stuff, all that fluff, all that uh, mat, mat, matai, matayalages, empty talk. It's an interesting little word, you know, vain talk. In any case, well, thank the Lord that you're here tonight. Uh, we had a good crowd, too, uh, online, as big as this morning, actually, almost. So that's good. Thank you for joining us online, and I uh, hope that that was edifying, too. So God bless you. Have a good night. Fellowship with one another, as our brother suggested, for a few minutes, and then we'll be on our way.